Good evening and welcome to Steadfast tonight. I am so glad to be with you. It's such a joy to be with you as we begin a brand new series, Baked Together. What are we thinking about tonight? Well, tonight we are returning to Philippians. We had a series in Philippians thinking about joy and the struggles and darkness of life that we looked at back in January and early February. But now we're moving into a different section of Philippians, chapter 2. Chapter 2 includes some of the most beautiful verses of Scripture, I believe. Some of the most beautiful words ever penned are in chapter 2. And one of the things I love about chapter 2 of Philippians is it talks about how God has called us together as his church and how he works and shows his love to us. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about over these next few weeks. I'm really excited about this series as a preparation we shared last week that Little Hills is going to have in-person worship starting in just a few weeks on March 27th. And, and so part of this is thinking about how do we function as a church and whether you're part of Little Hills community online or you're part of Little Hills community in person or you're going to be part of both, however you're going to be involved, uh, we're going to think about how we do church together. What a joy that is. And so let's come before our God and, and pray for his guidance as we begin this brand new series, and then we're going to think about how he bakes us together into a delicious recipe, into his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your love. Thank you for giving us your word and, and giving us this joyful, amazing testimony of your love that we find in Philippians chapter 2. Lord, as we, we look at it tonight, and we look at it over the coming weeks, would you help us to think about how each of us, whether we're going to be in person together or we're joining in fellowship online together, or just that we're the body of Christ together, that you would help us to see how it is that you've called us to be. Lord, you've called your church globally together to serve together, to love each other, and to testify to the wonders of your love together that, that many might come into your kingdom. And so as we do this study, Lord, would you help us to think about what that looks like? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, if you think about this coming section, what we're really looking at here is the story of how God calls us together, what it looks like to be the church, what the recipe is for the church to be the church. And I've been thinking a lot about recipes over the course of the pandemic. And I put a question in the chat before we started. What did you learn over the pandemic? Is there something that you're carrying with you beyond the pandemic that, that you're glad you learned? And for me, it was the joy of making pizza. I've made pizza before, but over the pandemic, I, I tried to craft pizza, to, to make pizza that, that would be a genuine St. Louis style pizza or a genuine Chicago deep dish pizza, different kinds of pizza. And one of the pizzas I've tried to tackle is the pan pizza. I love Pizza Hut pan pizza, and I want to try to get as close as possible to a Pizza Hut pan pizza. 
but I found more than the deep dish or the St. Louis style that this has been a challenge. And so I've been using my sourdough starter that I started back at the beginning of the pandemic and have been feeding ever since. And I've been tweaking the recipe and trying to get it so that I actually get a pan pizza that when I see it and I taste it, it tastes like what, what I imagine. And so, for example, this past weekend, I, I was working on trying to get that pan pizza exactly how I wanted it. And so here I am, I'm stretching the dough, trying to prepare it, letting it, 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 it rise over the course of about 36 hours, trying to get this dough just right. I, I thought I had it down the weekend before I'd made a pan pizza and it was almost right, just so close to, to what I've been shooting for, but not quite. And, and so I thought I'd try it again. And well, unfortunately I missed something or I didn't do something quite right because I actually felt like I took a step backwards with this one. It, it's, it's a fine, it was a fine pizza last night, but not quite what I was shooting for. So I, I'm going to continue to try to refine those ingredients and keep figuring out, do I need to stretch the dough and fold it more? Do I, I need to just work on that dough with in my hands and try to get the texture just right? Do I need to put a little more sugar in, put a little more water in, a little less water, all those different things, trying to get that perfect pizza. Well, if you think about it, what we see in Philippians chapter 2 is a picture of God calling us to understand what he puts into his church. And like the pizza that I've been working on, you can make things not quite right. We can contribute unhelpful changes to it. I, I, I did some things the week before by accident that apparently were helpful. Sometimes we do that in life as well. But sometimes we put in things that, that aren't helpful. We, we put in too much water and the dough is just all sticky or we don't put in enough and it's just falling apart. And oftentimes that looks like in the church, allowing that selfishness that, that's in us to, to bubble over. And Paul addresses that here in this chapter because he knows that's something that we all struggle with as human beings. If you're a human being, you're going to struggle with being selfish. I struggle with being selfish. We all do. And it blinds us as we think about how we function as the church. Because as we seek to, to put each other's needs first, that's what Paul's going to call us to here. We're going to keep thinking, but but I want this, or I want that. This is what makes me happy in the church. This is what makes me feel important. And this is not something new. It's not something that's unique to 21st century American church life or, or worldwide church life in our present time. It's something that's been going on since the very beginning. And, and that's what Paul addresses here. In the previous chapter, the chapter we looked at in that series about a month ago, we came to this verse at the very end, chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians, if you want to turn there. And, and it gives us a sense of what we're called to do. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Called to live a life worthy of the gospel, to, to live a life that as we proclaim that Jesus is king and that he's come to save us, that the world sees us living in accordance with that. We talked about that back then, but, but Paul's going to, to explore that more now. He was talking about living in the midst of the uncertainty that he and, and those around him were experiencing as he was under house arrest. 
But now he's going to directly confront the challenges in the life of the church in Philippi. Because they're human beings like you and like me. And the starting point for Paul, and it's the starting point we should always have, is is to think about how Jesus approaches us. How does he relate to us? And we see that in verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, we're not even through the first sentence there. Paul has a nice long sentence to start us off here. But he lists a series of things, and he starts with, so if there's any encouragement in Christ. If these Philippian believers have any encouragement from Jesus, and, and he assumes they do, this sentence is structured in such a way when he says, so if, and you can make this really clear in Greek, he, he's saying it in such a way that he's assuming the answer is, and of course there's encouragement in Christ. If you know Jesus, if you understand the gospel, if you understand that that Jesus has died for you, that he took your sins to the cross, that he triumphed over death for you, that all you have to do is, is repent and believe and confess him as Lord. If you understand that, and then you, you go into the challenges of, of dealing with other human beings in the church, but you ground it in that, you already have a wonderful starting point. And it gives us a sense of what we should do. Jesus talks about his love for us and for his church in John chapter 15, verse 12. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Commentators have suggested that Paul might have had that conversation Jesus was having with his disciples at the Last Supper in mind as, as he instructs them here. Any encouragement in Christ? Are they really grasping on to what Jesus has done for them? And then to go a step further, and this ties it back into that upper room conversation at the Last Supper once again, he says, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. All these things come flowing together. They, they start out with the good news of what Jesus has done for them. Then this comfort from love, and sometimes it's wrestled with exactly, is, is this Paul's love for the church? That could be in there. It seems more likely it's speaking of Jesus' love, this, this love that, that Jesus calls us to follow him in. And then he goes on and says, and any participation in the Spirit. Just like Jesus said at that upper room discourse, that conversation with his disciples at the end of, of his life, what did he say? He said he was going to send his Holy Spirit, that, that he was going to go away from them, but, but his Spirit was going to be with them. His spirit was going to empower them to do the things they were called to do. And, and, and Paul seems to have that in mind here, too, for, for all of us as believers, when he says any participation in the spirit, that love that, that we see on the one hand coming from Jesus is enabled to be lived out by that participation of the spirit. It could be the fellowship of the spirit. And there seems to be two senses Paul is implying here on the one hand. That, that speaks to the fact that we have fellowship with God, that as we respond to that gospel, that, that, that good news that Jesus has triumphed over death and offered us forgiveness and offered us to be in his family, the Holy Spirit is the one that offers that fellowship to us and enables us to believe and enables us to go and live as part of the family of God. But there's also something else there, and that's crucial to what Paul's going to talk about here, which is that that fellowship of the spirit that enables us to have fellowship with God 
then is a fellowship of the Spirit with other believers. Because what do we know when we look around at our fellow believers? What do we know as you look at those in this chat tonight as we're going through this message? What do we know as we look at fellow believers when we gather together in person? We know that they have fellowship with the Spirit too. Everyone who who calls on the name of Jesus, who's a believer in him, receives his spirit and so isn't going through life trying to do it all on their own, on, on my own, on your own, but has a fellowship with the spirit. And so Paul says here is a, a grounding for how they're going to live, that they know they have encouragement from Jesus. They know they have the love that Jesus has shown them. And they know that they have his spirit there, offering fellowship and binding them together with other believers. And that's how he can move on then to the, the, the last part of this verse where he says to them, any affection or sympathy? Well, if you know that Jesus has done all this for you and that the Spirit's working in you and you look over it at your brothers and sisters in Christ and, and they, they're driving you a little bit crazy at the moment. They're doing things that, that you don't necessarily want to do that way. Or, or maybe it's just you're, you're, you're there in worship and they're not singing as beautifully as you think they should, or or they're just kind of in your way, whatever it might be. If you ground it all in that Jesus has done this for you and that they're members of the same family as you, they've been bought with Jesus's blood just like you have. Maybe we should have a little bit more affection towards them, a little more sympathy for what they're going through. When they come in late and and you, and you look at them and you can tell they're sad. You, rather than thinking, why are you late? You think, I wonder what's going on that I could be praying for them for. And Paul says, in the course of his instruction to, to the churches that he ministers to, look at how I do this, and not because I'm so great, but because I'm following Jesus who is great and who does this. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am am of Christ. Imitators of me as I am in, of Christ. And that's how he can then go on in, in verse 2 of Philippians 2 and say, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's an invitation to imitate what they've seen of him that's imitating Jesus. Now, of course, Paul didn't imitate Jesus perfectly, but, but he says, this this love that that you've seen, this love that I've shown you, now I'm asking you to make my joy complete by you doing the same with your fellow believers in your, in the church. Show that love to one another. And he says when you do that, it's going to lead them to be of one mind, being in full accord and of one mind. Now we hear that phrase, and if we if we've had a bad experience in a church, or maybe we just have had a bad experience in different groups, we think of one mind of complete, of full accord. Does that mean that we, we just become a bunch of lemmings, that we're just going to follow lockstep with one another right off the cliffs of life? Does it mean some kind of shut my mind off and I'm just going to be this, this drab intellectual uniform that I'm going to put on, as one commentator put it, where we're, Instead of, of being vibrant and thinking and, and, and exploring and being creative, we're just going to be of one dull, monotone shade. Is that what that means? It doesn't seem to be at all what Paul means here. 
Paul isn't talking about being uh, of one mind in the sense that everyone looks the same, acts the same, dresses the same, um, anything like that. Any kind of forced compliance, anything like that. What Paul's talking about instead is that w when we look at each other and we realize, wait, we're of this family of God and that Jesus has paid with his life that we can be a family together, that if we have that together, if we have that as our one mind together, that then we can actually celebrate how we're different. We can celebrate that God has, has collected this beautiful family, called us all together, even though we are different. He made us different, and yet... And yet we have that thing that binds us together as of one mind. Sometimes that's not how we think, though, in the church, is it? It's sort of funny, a few years ago, actually before I was even thinking about participating in a church plant, I went to a conference that was primarily for church planters. I was starting a, a ministry at the time, starting Faith Tree, and I just thought maybe it would have something that would be useful in the context of that. And, and it was a good conference, but the thing that, I really probably remember almost most of all is that as I looked out at the sea of of pastors that were there, almost all of them were wearing plaid and had beards. They, they looked almost the same. And if you've been around certain parts of the church in recent years, that's a very trendy way to to dress as a pastor. You, you have your plaid on, your, your neatly trimmed beard, and maybe you're drinking a craft beer. It's just sort of this image that certain pastors have. I don't fit any part of that that picture. So I was very aware of that. But sometimes I think when we think of being a one mind, that's what we think of. We, we, we should dress the same. We should look the same. We, we should pick out this, this picture of what the church should look like. And we should all imitate the outward appearance of it. Sometimes we, we get that feeling when we're at work. I would imagine all of us have had that boss that, that really only wants uniformity. You have a, a meeting and, and, you're, and everyone's being asked for opinions. And, and the subtext is you're supposed to say whatever the boss was saying. And what do you know? Everybody agrees. And we hear this and we think, well, is God just the ultimate middle manager coming straight out of Dilbert who, who just wants us all to, to have this lockstep agreement, this boring drabness, this actual sort of undermining of any kind of thinking. And that's not what Paul's talking about. What he's talking about is the one mind that comes from loving each other. The one mind that, hey, wait a second, we're, we're the family of God together. And the people sitting next to me might, might have plaid on. They might have a suit and tie on. They might be really thrilled when we sing old hymns or really thrilled when we sing contemporary praise songs. But what I do know, if, if they're believers, is that we're family. And the the differences we have contribute to the beauty of this tapestry that God's making. Take a look at 1 John chapter 4. John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. For then he cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
John there surely is reflecting back on the account that he shares in his gospel, that we're called to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And, and he raises a really important point, which is if we can't love each other, how in the world are we going to love God, meaningfully love God? And a good starting point for that, besides the fact that the people around us are very concrete and, and God's allowed us to experience his love through them. And if we're not loving them, we're cutting ourselves off from one of the clearest, easiest ways to experience God's love in this world. But also he's commanded us to love them. So if we say we love God, but we're ignoring his, his command to love the people that he's called together as the church, how can we say that we love him? But when we do, it doesn't make everything easy. Otherwise, this wouldn't be something that kept coming up over and over again in scripture. But when we do, when we love each other and, and we, we reflect on what scripture says here, it starts to give us a desire to work together. And to appreciate the differences we have. And in that, then, it turns us to the focus that God calls us to have for his church, which is a focus on others and not ourselves. If we can't love one another in the church, it becomes a real challenge to love the world that we're supposed to represent God to. We're busy being annoyed by the, by our, our family. How are we ever going to say, well, to the world, you should come and join our family? I can't stand them, but you should join them. It doesn't work. But when we start to realize what God is doing, it doesn't, again, make everything easy. We start to understand what God sees. And then we can do what he calls us to do. Let's take a look at the next part. Verse 3 of Philippians 2. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That gets at the heart of the problem we often have in the church. We have selfish selfish ambition. We're thinking about, well, how can the church advance me? How can it solve my needs? And it's not wrong to want your needs to be taken care of, but we start to become totally immersed in that. And part of the reason we do that is we do it out of conceit. We're, we're, We're thinking of ourselves as more important than those around us. We might not be able to say that out loud. We know that we shouldn't say that out loud, and yet we function that way. We we see these two temptations over and over again, the the temptation for self-advancement in the church and the temptation for self-importance in the church. And what we're called to here, and this is going to come out much more in next week's message as we continue in in chapter 2, is we're called to humility. Humility isn't very popular when you really think about it in our world. Yeah, there's there's a certain facade of humility we're supposed to put on so we don't look like we're too full of ourselves. But, but actually being humble, actually saying, I'm more worried about what someone else needs than what I need is not what our society thrives off of. And it's not what the society of Paul's time thrived off of either. Well, while Christians have often talked about humility as a virtue, the Greeks didn't think of it as a virtue. This idea of, of putting others first meant not looking out for number one, just like the challenge we have now. That's what we're called to do. The church wasn't called together so that we could look out for number one if number one is us. Number one should be God, and if we're looking out for what God's interests are, what he's called us to do, then I'm not so worried about what makes me the happiest. I'm worried about what gets 
the love of God out to the people that he's called us to share his gospel with. Take a look at the next part, verse 3 once again and verse 4. Paul says, but, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So we have that humility. We don't count ourselves as more important than others. And, and, and this is something that is my prayer for Little Hills. We're, we're going to be gathering together in person and we're going to be continuing online. And as we love each other, wherever we're, whatever part of that assembled fellowship that you're a part of, there's going to be times where we're going to want to look out for ourselves. And again, notice here, and this is something I think really important that, that sometimes gets left out and then it, it becomes an excuse to ignore what people need. Paul says that in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests. It's okay that you come into this tonight needing something. You need prayer. You need encouragement in God's word. There, there's actual things going on in your life that, that you could use the fellowship of other believers to, to walk through. That's good. That's what we should do. That's what we come to family for. But look not only to his own interests. And that's where we sometimes get stuck. Once we start to think, well, okay, it's appropriate that I need to be fed and I need people to do things for me. And it is true. We should recognize that that's part of actually setting aside the pride that we have to realize that we need others' help. But we don't stop there. We start worrying about the interests of others. We can do that even at the same time as we pray for each other. Maybe you're sharing a prayer request tonight, and then we can pray for someone else's prayer request. As we gather in person, and we, we may have physical, tangible ways to do that as well. And, and think of the ways that we show the interests of others in our community as something that's important to us. But how often do we fail that? It's so contrary to the way we function as a society. I've been struck of the wonderful and the bad examples over the last few weeks since Russia invaded Ukraine. And there's some beautiful things. There there are pictures. I, I saw a picture the other day. I think it was in Berlin at the train station. And there were all kinds of people standing there in the train station with signs. And, and the signs on them described what spare rooms they had in their houses, how many people they could hold. And that way, a family of four could go to someone who had room for a family of four and someone else that was just an individual. I hear someone that only has one single bed. Beautiful thing that these people, they weren't looking for gain. They were looking out for the interests of others. It's a beautiful thing. And when the church does it, it's an incredibly beautiful thing because it shows that we're, we're reflecting on what God has done for us. On the other hand, though, there have been some ugly examples. So often if I turn on the news, what it's harping on isn't necessarily so much completely the tragedy of what's happening over there, but what's happening at home is it is are the gas prices too high? Or are our particular social agendas, left or right, being put out enough in Ukraine? What's going on over there that might fit our normal political grid that we live in all the time? And it's amazing how quickly we can pivot from here's a, a disaster that that is just horrifying as millions of people are displaced. And then we can think, but are the things that I normally um, all worked up about in my favorite political groups being answered at the moment? And it's not to say all those are irrelevant. Just like here, we shouldn't forget our own interests or we're going to die. But can we keep our focus on others? 
Now, as a society, we're going to fail that because as a society, we're trying to just drive ourselves by our own power. But as the church, we ought not to fail that. And that's why God has mixed us together into this recipe. And, and as he's doing it and he's, he's kneading that dough and he's stretching it and he's folding it, what's he doing with us? He's, he's trying to bring us to the point where we'll, we'll rise up perfectly, that, that we'll rise to the occasion of what this world needs. Just like my dough a couple weeks ago did, and my dough this weekend didn't quite as much. And sometimes we're going to mess it up, and we're going to have that off week. And we need to be open and honest about that. We need to admit that we're going to fail, but if, if we stay focused on what Jesus has done, and we keep striving to follow him, it allows us to show something of who he is to the world. Then that delicate balance of ingredients keeps getting better as God works on all of us, and we help each other as God works on all of us. The key thing that we can't lose sight of is that Jesus Jesus didn't put his interests first. The very fact that that we can talk about this gospel in which you and I can respond to him and confess our sins and, and through nothing that we can do, he'll offer his grace and offer us to be a part of his family and offer us eternal life. How amazing is that? Just out of love and we're called to do the same. Jesus didn't look first and foremost to his interests, and neither should we look first and foremost to our interests. And when we set those aside, we focus on him, and we focus on where he's sending us, then we can be the church. And in all of us, whether we're in person at Little Hills, whether you're in person at another church, whether you're online, all of us are going to interact with other people. When we do, we have a chance to start to show the love that Jesus shows us that we're reminded of in Philippians 2. Would you pray with me, please? Father, it's hard to do this. We feel pulled to our own interests. Who's going to look out for us if we don't? But would you remind us that you do? You've been looking out for us before we ever had a first breath. You will look out for us through all eternity. Lord, may we, we recognize the gift that you offer us in your, your gospel, that we might be redeemed and might be part of your family. And as we experience that grace that you give us, would you help us to, to want to put others' interests first, just as you have given us something that we don't deserve, that we don't offer anything meaningful to you for? What could we possibly give you? And so as we look to the interests of others, may we not look at, well, what's in it for me? As we serve as the church, here locally in St. Charles, nationally, globally, wherever we might be, Lord, would you help us to put the interests of others first? To look at what you have done, and then through the power of your Spirit, to live like you have shown us, that you have guided us, that you have called us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I said a moment ago, we're going to continue in the next part of Philippians 2. Some of my favorite verses in all of scripture are going to come up next week. And it's going to speak more about what it looks like when we follow Jesus. What does it look like to have the mind of Christ? And and so we're going to look at that next week. And it's going to help us to think more about how do we live in a way that's not focused on on self-advancement, not on my own interests, not out of conceit, but out of humility like Jesus has shown us.
So I hope you'll join me next week at 7 p.m. for that on Monday night. In the meantime, if this has been an encouragement to you, I would surely appreciate it if you'd give us a like or a share. You can leave comments in the comments below. Help us to get the word out to others that, that we're here on Monday night studying God's word together. And God loves them. That's the thing that we learn over and over again in God's word. And I know that you know someone who needs to hear that. Well, I do want to remind you about a couple of things going on in the life of Little Hills. And the one that I mentioned last week in reference throughout tonight is that we're launching in-person worship starting on March 27th. And I hope you'll join us if you're in the area. We will be live streaming that service as well. So if you can't join us in person, you can join us online that night and in the nights to come. And we'll be continuing this live streaming as well. We're going to be doing hybrid ministry. But if you're here, we would love to see you at that first worship service, the beginning on March 27th. I can't wait to share that with you. Also, we're, we're continuing our online series going through the book of Psalms this year, seeing what God has for us in the Psalms. And Melanie got started on this week's readings with a, a wonderful little message last night. If you missed it, you can check it out at grow.faithtree.com. And then over the course of this week, read Psalm 28 today, 29 by Wednesday, 30 by Friday. We'll be discussing it once again at grow.faithtree.com. You can go over there and discuss it with us. We would love to have you join in the conversation. It's a great way to be exploring God's word. And what happens when we explore God's word? We understand more of his mind. He works in us so that we can show his love to others. If there's any way I can be praying for you, or if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. I love to hear from you. Or you can leave a comment in the comments below. We can pray for one another down there. It's always a joy when we get to pray together. We get to love each other as the family of God. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I can't wait to see you once again next week as we, be, as we continue this series, Baked Together, Thinking of What God Does with His Church. Have a blessed week.